barriers installed in the Rio Grande. So it's people that try to uh, test it. You know, they're going to see if they can go over or under. And along the banks on the side of Eagle Pass, Texas, along the Mexico-U.S. border. It's very dangerous. They might get tangled up on those nests. Uh, but uh, there's always, always somebody that's going to be trying to test them, always. And new allegations of mistreatment in an email sent by a Texas DPS trooper to his supervisors in Eagle Pass, Texas. It's been a busy week at the border like usual, but the events of the week have captured national headlines. This after reports that a DPS trooper, a medic, wrote an email complaining that they were being ordered not to give water to migrants and to push them back in river. And that included, according to the allegations, women who were nursing and also children. But what our team found this week on the ground in Eagle Pass, Texas, were women at the shelter who claimed those who pushed them or their children back into the river were men in beige and green military uniforms. Currently, in Texas, there are about 14 states who have sent Guard members to help with the current flow of migrants entering the U.S. Reina Gloria Dominguez Guerra is living what she calls a nightmare after being separated from her four children, ages 5, 12, 16, and 22, on the U.S. side of the Rio Grande, July 9. She and two other women we found in the Eagle Pass Mission Border Hope Shelter told us they were separated from their children by men wearing military uniforms. Currently in Texas, there are National Guards members from 14 different states. We reached out to the Texas military who sent us a statement that in part says, no orders have been given under Operation Lone Star that would compromise the lives of those attempting to cross the border illegally. This comes in the heels of reports published in Texas that a DPS trooper said that they were ordered to push back those attempting to cross the border, including children. Allegations that DPS sources tell us are simply not true. Governor Greg Abbott's office and DPS sent a statement that in part says there are no orders telling service members to push undocumented immigrants back into the river or deny them drinking water. In this private property at Pecan Farm called Heavenly Farms, workers allowed us to come in and see the fence and the Constantina wire that the state has put up to their dismay. On the other side of it, we saw men, women with their children, and unaccompanied minors waiting in the river to be taken into custody. Our cameras captured DPS troopers and service members, allowing some in and others, all men and unaccompanied minor males, sent back to the river. That order to allegedly push them back in or not give them water, both Greg Abbott and DPS have said they never officially issued. Today we have Lieutenant Chris Olivares from DPS with us to shed some light on the allegations. 
So let's talk about and all the controversy that's going on. We've already talked about that. We have been put out in the media. What is the mission? What do you guys tell your people, your DPS people to do and not to do? Well, the directive is to discourage and to redirect any migrants that cross the Rio Grande, especially their legal paths. That's where we're seeing the majority of illegal crossings taking place from single adults to families to children. So we tell the troopers to use messaging, verbal messaging, to tell the migrants in Spanish that it's dangerous. Don't risk your life. Go to a port of entry. We even have loudspeakers that are placed along the river that are conveying the same message in Spanish. But it's very simple is to tell the migrants not to cross the river. It's very dangerous. Uh, the migrants can clearly see all the manpower that we have on the riverbank on the U.S. side. They see all the barriers, the Constantino wire. Um, so when they decide to cross the river, uh, they're risking their own lives and the lives of children that they bring across. So we want to make sure that we discourage that and even and try to prevent them from even entering the river at all costs possible. Now, of course, we tell the troopers also, I mean, these are human beings. We know that just, you know, just because they're crossing the river illegally, uh, they are human beings. So we tell them to use their discretion when it comes to water um, or providing medical aid. That's why we have medical staff on site around the clock. And if migrants do decide to cross a river and they make it across and they want to wait on the U.S. side for Border Patrol, then we tell the troopers to monitor that group, um, especially if there's children amongst that group. And uh, if they see any type of migrant in distress, whether it be a child or adult, um, they can use that discretion to provide water to those individuals. They can call one of our medical staff to assess them. And if the need, you know, if there is a further need for medical treatment, then we'll bring them across the wire and we can provide further medical aid, whether it be an IV or transport them to the hospital. But that's what we tell the troopers is to use that discretion. We don't have water, obviously, to give every single migrant that's coming across the river, especially when you have close to a thousand a day that are crossing the river. But we tell them to use their discretion. And also, we don't want to encourage um, illegal crossings by handing out water every single time. So we tell them to use their discretion, use good judgment based on their observations. Okay. So how difficult is it when you're now bringing in people from the northern part of the state, troopers from the northern part, and I, tell me about the training, but then you also are adding in National Guards members that are not from the state of Texas, that don't understand the land, the landscape, the culture, you know, what the rules are, what the rules are not between, you know, Border Patrol and you guys. How much more difficult does it make? And I do want to tell you, the women that I spoke to in the shelter in Eagle Pass did not say it was DPS troopers, but they told me it was men in military uniforms that pushed their children back in the water, laid hands on them. So it was right. not DPS. So, of course, it's always difficult. It's always challenging when you have a mixture of different personnel, you know, that are being deployed at the border from different parts of the state, including DPS troopers, including National Guard. And you have a mixture of field troopers, supervisors, and the challenge is always trying to convey the same message that we have, those that are permanently assigned to the border region. So that's always a challenge right there, to making sure we get the same message across to those troopers that are working out in the field, to get the same message to National Guard troopers that are also being uh, deployed and um, you know deployed constantly just about every single week. You have some, you have new personnel at the border. So the challenge is trying to get that message across to every single person that's deployed at the border. And that's why our personnel that are assigned to the region, the South Texas region that are permanently assigned to the border, they're well aware of what we're trying to do. They're well aware of the mission of the operation, the objective, the directives. 
But now the challenge comes now when you have troopers that are coming from other parts of the state. How do we get that message to them so that we're all on the same page and that we are on the same mission? And that's trying to discourage any illegal crossings. That's always going to be a challenge um, in, in itself. So we're trying to work on that. Uh, we're trying to have more of our own personnel that are assigned to the region, the South Texas region, and have them assigned to the Eagle Pass area. And those troopers that are from out of the area, we can have them work the roads. They can focus on criminal enforcement, human smuggling. That way, our troopers that are that are know the area, that have been deployed numerous times, they're well aware of what's taking place at the border. We can use them um, at those areas there in Eagle Pass and any other part of the of the border that we may see that we may see some other activity taking place. Let me ask you, there appears to be a loophole when someone gets injured and then you guys handle them. And if you have to transport to the hospital, once they're released, they're now in the country illegally because they did not, the border patrol didn't lay hands on them and process them. So how is that loophole being worked on? I mean, is there something actively being done? So, of course, migrants are always going to find a way to find any loopholes to get across. And that's why we tell the troopers and our medical staff to base their assessment off observations. A lot of migrants will use children as leverage, saying that their children need water, they need food, uh, because we know we have, they have, we have a human side to us. And they, they want us to feel some type of compassion that we can let them in. But we have to be very, we have to be very vigilant in how we do that, because if we start doing that, then all we're doing is sending a message that, the state of Texas is going to allow migrants to cross illegally, and we're going to walk. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome them. We have to be careful how we do that, how we convey that message. Now, once migrants are, in this case, say a migrant is injured uh, or we have to rescue a migrant, unaccompanied child, whatever the case may be, and if they re require some type of medical treatment, then we will facilitate a transport to the hospital. Once that's done, then, of course, they turn over to Border Patrol. Uh, we have no other authority on that part as far as immigration. Now, if they're single adults and they commit a state crime, then we can file charges for some type of state criminal offense. But other than that, if it's a family or a child, um, all we can do is provide that aid, facilitate transport if it's needed, and then turn them over to U.S. Border Patrol. Okay. So once they're done, you guys have left them at the hospital, though, and they've been treated, and you guys are gone. Where is Border Patrol doing that because yesterday in one case they did not do that and it was actually the kid that you showed the video of on your account was the kid right. that i was throwing water over to a few hours before but then when they were done with him he just sat there and he called me because i gave him my number and i said i want to know where you're at i want to know what happens with your case and border patrol was there but they told him we can't do anything with you because we didn't process you he's in the country now illegally I mean, you know what I mean? Right. And, that, and I think that's where the challenge is happening. Right. I think that's where the challenges are. So obviously when someone does cross, you know, they, they're able to breach the Constantino wire or we have to perform a rescue. We don't follow that migrant to the hospital. We'll call an ambulance or whatever the case may be. The ambulance will show up on scene. They'll transport that individual. Now Border Patrol should be contacted at that point that this person was here in the country legally. 
Now it's on the responsibility of U.S. Border Patrol to take custody of the, of the individual once he's released from the hospital. Now that doesn't happen, then obviously we go back to what we were seeing uh, prior to what we were doing, where migrants are just being released into the city and they have nowhere to go. They're sleeping in the streets. That's where those challenges lie. And I think that's where there needs to be more of a communication on that part where the hospital staff contacts U.S. Border Patrol. And I don't know if that's being done or not. All I can tell you is what we do as far as on the state level. Uh, we have no other authority or responsibility at that point once that migrant is transported to the hospital. And that's where I think that's, that's where it needs to be um, as far as addressed is, is U.S. Border Patrol being contacted? Are they picking up this individual or are they just going to release them you know, into the community? Um, it seems kind of unfair to a point that you guys are you guys are in the front lines. You know, and you and you serve the state of Texas. It seems a bit unfair that because the federal government cannot fix and get their act together, that you guys, especially the troopers out there, National Guards, other, you know, agencies are out there having to do the job that immigration and homeland security should be doing. What do you tell your guys? I mean, I saw them yesterday. And like I've seen them for years, exhausted and still doing their job. What well, do you it's say? very challenging. It, it's very challenging because you have to look at, you know, we've been doing this for the past two years and we're still continuing to do it moving forward. And a lot of these troopers, you know, they're they're on constant rotations. They're away from their families at any given time. Um, and it's it's tough. You know, it is tough. You know, they're out there in the elements and the heat working around the clock and they're, get to, they're seeing all this different activity taking place, something they may not be used to. So it could be stressful, it could be challenging, but we try to, you know, we try to convey that message why we're doing what we're doing. Obviously, it is it is frustrating when you don't have the support from the federal government. Obviously, this is the responsibility to secure the border and to prevent illegal crossings between the ports of entry. But that's why we have to step in and do something. Uh, we have to put manpower, you know, on the ground. We have to put, you know, concertina wire, barriers, whatever we can do to try to stop illegal crossings because it's still happening. Even though the federal government has placed this CBP-1 app, they have increased their application efforts, but a lot of these migrants, they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait because they've had some type of family member or an acquaintance that has crossed the river and they've been released to the country. And that sends a clear message to them that as long as you get across, you're going to get released no matter what. And that's that's a challenge in itself when we're trying to tell our troopers that we're here for a reason. We're here to protect our state. We're here to protect the border communities, but also we're trying to prevent these migrants from crossing the river. We're trying to look out for their best interests and trying to keep them from crossing the river so they don't have to place their lives in danger. So they can go to a port of entry where it's much safer, where it's humane, and they can seek asylum. Okay. And my last question for me would be the number of people that are getting picked up on trespassing charges and how do you determine who gets those or who goes to Border Patrol? So as far as criminal trespass, there's different areas, especially there in Eagle Pass, where we have consent forms from landowners that give us consent. They're a complainant. They're willing to file charges for criminal trespass if anybody trespasses on their property. Uh, those individuals, whether it be a single male or single female, uh, they will be arrested for criminal trespass. Families, children, those we are referring them to U.S. Border Patrol. Now, there has been some cases most recently where we have adults that come together, a couple, and we don't know if they're family or not. They bring children across and they'll push the children or make them crawl underneath the concertina wire. And that's where we see these injuries taking place. Some of those individuals we have arrested for endangering a child because they're placing children in harm's way by making them cross through that wire or crawling underneath the wire. And they do that because they know for a fact that if we see that, we're going to cut the wire, we're going to pick it up, and we're going to let them in. 
So that's one thing, too, that we're trying to determine as well. And it's another challenge in itself is trying to prevent that from happening. But now we're starting to make arrests on those adults that are endangering children by placing them um, through the wire or pushing them through the wire. Okay. Let me ask you her questions real quick. Um, Jordan's asking how far along is DPS in the installation of the marine barriers? So I was in Eagle Pass last week. From what I understand, all the buoys uh, will be what should have been in place by now. Uh, the first 1,000 feet, they're still having to anchor and put some other type of structures in place to make sure everything gets secured. But it should be completed this week. Uh, I think we'll see full operation of the marine barrier uh, this coming week. Okay. Second question. Uh, we've had agencies tell us they were not notified about when these barriers would be installed and that permits were not granted for that installation in international waters. Did the state get any permits for this or consult with Mexico or any international border and water commissions or federal clearance before that? Well, the initial process and the contract as far as for this project, uh, that was that's that's being that's, that those are discussions through the governor's office. We're overseeing the project. Uh, we're overseeing the contractors that are on site installing the buoy. So I don't have any knowledge of any prior discussions as far as involving permits uh, with the marine barrier. Okay. And this one also sounds like for the governor's office. How do you expect the barrier to hold up in Mexico's investigation to see if they violate international treaties? Right. Governor's? Same thing. So, okay. yeah, same thing as far as yeah. all this. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have any knowledge of that. Okay. She's asking if you guys have heard from the Biden administration about this. Um, as far as what the uh, barrier or the yeah the barriers, uh, we haven't we haven't received any type of notice or any type of acknowledgement from the federal government on what we're doing. Okay, and then she's asking, how have the buoys performed performed so far? Are people turning back? Have people gotten caught at the border? Law, law enforcement officials able to navigate around them? How do you guys well, get the, the boats through? Right. So the, the buoys are placed in the middle of the river. So they're, they're still able to get through. Uh, there's plenty of space for the boats to get through and patrol. But we haven't fully uh, completed the marine barrier. So it's not fully operational. But we have some cases where some of the migrants um, are not able to cross through that area. That's where we're seeing the majority of the activity. That's why the barrier was placed in that specific area in Eagle Pass. So it has prevented some of the crossings. That's why some of the migrants are redirected and going to other areas where they can find openings uh, to get into the country. Okay, and I'm going to ask you this one, my last question. What if they start going through Del Rio? The park there is a federal area. What happens then? Right. Well, I mean, that's what, you know, we saw that in Del Rio, you know, back in 2021 with the Haitians, right? But we were able to, you know, support our federal agents, our partners, and we were able to prevent some of those crossings from taking place when we had a show of force with our patrol units. And it'd be the same case now. That's why we're always trying to find where is the next surge going to be? And we can move strategies to those areas. Now, of course, as you mentioned, Del Rio, that is on federal property. Um, it would probably be a different scenario than what we're doing in Eagle Pass. But that's why we have to have those discussions right now to prevent any further mass surge that we may see in those areas and just constantly monitor uh, the activity that's taking place across in Mexico and, and pay attention to the caravans that are coming across as well. But we're, we're prepared. And uh, if we have to, and if, we, if we're not able to place barriers, then we'll find other ways uh, to have some type of show of force there, just like we did in Del Rio with the Haitians. Okay. And it's a partnership. I mean, regardless of the political hot potato that it's become again, you guys still have to work with Border Patrol agents that are out there. Right. I mean, so regardless of the politics, you know, I always say that we, we have a great relationship with U.S. Border Patrol. We work with them every single day across the border. 
Uh, we work operations together, you know, from our field troopers to the field agents to the leadership level. We have a great relationship with Border Patrol. Obviously, they have different directives, um, and we have different directives. But at the end of the day, we work we work great together. We're all, you know, we have an objective, and that is try to do as much as we can uh, working together to secure the border and protect uh, the state and also our country. So we'll continue doing that. That has not changed. There's no conflict between us and Border Patrol. In fact, it's, it's just a great relationship that we have right now with them. We are talking now with Jordan Elder. She's one of our investigative reporters here in San Antonio with Sinclair Broadcasting. Jordan is covering the other side of the issue that has become an international one, the use of the marine barriers, or like I like to call them, the big red balls in the middle of the Rio Grande. All right, Jordan. So thank you for doing this with me today. And I kind of put her on the spot and told her, talk about the other side of the story that we covered. So the buoys, when you got out there and you literally saw them in the water, what was your first thought? My first thought was that seems very long for a thousand yards. It just seemed like they kept going and going. And we were there when installation was still happening. So it was interesting getting to see them attaching them to the wire at the bottom. And it, it just seemed like such an expansive line at first when I first saw them. So, and and here's to me the fascinating part sometimes is to talk to other journalists that are not from Texas, that haven't lived there their entire lives. You're originally from Kansas City mm-hmm. and you worked in Illinois. Yes. And you went to school in Arizona. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is your first time living in Texas and going to the border. When you hear about the border, for those people that listen to the podcast and are not at the border, how would you explain this to them so they can really get a good feel of what it's like to be standing there and where the balls are in the middle of the water in comparison to where people have to cross? So it's, it was interesting to me. I feel like every time that I've been there, you are pushed a little further back. So my first time at the border we were able to get right up on the Rio Grande and we were able to see it and we were watching people cross and get picked up by border patrol. Now there are all of these shipping containers end to end all along the line. And then there's concertina wire in front and behind it. And now there's the buoys in the middle. So you just keep getting pushed further and further back from actually being able to see it. We actually had to go to a pecan farm to be able to see the buoys. Um, So it feels very restricted. And the very first time that I watched people come across the Rio Grande, it was a very almost startling moment for me because you hear about it. But when you're seeing it firsthand and the desperation in these people's faces just to get across the river, because you can tell they feel like once they hit that other side of the river, they're home free, like literally free in America. And it was powerful. I didn't know what to do the first time that I saw it happen. I was standing there with my photographer who had been in Texas for a while and he was like, yeah, this is what happens. But it was And they just, just walk up straight yeah, up to you. They yeah. just walk straight there's up. There's no like big, you know, no. here we are. <laughs> no, sometimes there's not people intercepting them or stopping them. They're just, they're there and they just keep walking. Um, part of the issue out there is the whole issue with the international waters. Mm-hmm. What have you found this week? So I spoke with the International Boundary and Water Commission, and they're the group that oversees the treaties, and they make sure that everyone is following the law when it comes to the Rio Grande and the international water. So 
they told me this week they were completely surprised by this buoy idea and that the state of Texas did not ask them for permission to put anything in the Rio Grande. They didn't seek a permit and that they still have not been able to get in contact with the state of Texas and leaders about the buoys. And they do feel that it violates the treaties. So in looking into the treaties, they essentially say the United States and Mexico cannot construct anything in the river that disrupts how the water flows. So that includes razor wire, which they were already upset about, and now the buoys. So they they feel that this is illegal. Why do you think they're putting it in the water? Why not keep everything on land? I think it's, I mean, the strategy that I kind of touched on earlier, building more and more barriers further back. If you can stop people in the water, then maybe you can prevent them from getting to the land. So what we're told from officials is that the purpose of the buoys is to push people toward the actual ports of entry. It's not to block them from coming in altogether. It's to get them to go where they're supposed to go. But they're only in that one little area right now. Like, people could still get around them. But because they're in the water, it kind of forces people to have to change their path. And from what I understood, I'm still trying to clarify this, even though you go up and you present yourself at the port of entry, you may not be allowed. But if you're crossing through the water and then hand yourself over to Border Patrol, then you are allowed because now they're processing you in. But otherwise, unless you're a protected status, you know, people from, I think, Venezuela, Honduras, El Salvador, those people with protected status that if you just show up to the bridge, they're not just going to let you come in. So, I mean, to me, it just seems like we get so many different stories. Nobody gets a clear cut answer to anything. And if we're confused by it, imagine how confused the migrants must be, because they probably have been traveling a really long time to get to the point where they're at. They're probably not reading the news. They're probably not seeing these things and getting this information. So I can imagine that it would be very confusing for them to come into the country finally and then be told we can't accept you or any of these other stipulations that they're hearing. Um, One thing that I did notice when we got down there was the number of people that are not familiar with the border, and that includes DPS, that includes National Guards members. What was your uh, interaction when we first pulled up? Because you guys were in the vehicle in front of us. We were. So immediately everybody was very curious as to what we were doing there. There's a lot of DPS stationed to kind of keep people back from the work that they're doing on the buoys. Border Patrol um, never really stopped to talk to us. They were driving around. They're used to it. (laughs) Right. They were driving around that pecan farm um, just all over it, all over the roads. And that is it's technically a private property. But they're stationed there. DPS kind of stopped to chat with us and asked what we were doing, what we were covering. Um, But the dynamic is so interesting with all of the different law enforcement agencies that are there. Some of them that, like you said, have they've never been to the border. They're coming from all of these other places. With these marine barriers, as they call them, what is what is preventing people from going underneath? Tell people what's underneath each one of those big red balls that they see on TV. So from the air and from the water, you can see those balls. But then underneath, they have razor wire and netting to keep you from going underneath them. 
and those are all attached to concrete that they've put in the riverbed. You see them out there with big bulldozers putting it underneath the bottom of the river so that they stay. But we spoke to um, ecologists and people who study the way that rivers move, and they're very concerned that if there's a flood or if it rains, the bottom of the river can move and change. So they're worried that that concrete will come up and that the entire set of buoys will slide further down the river, which could become an issue. Yeah, because but, especially because of the bridges also. Right. It can wrap itself around the bridge. It can knock the columns that are holding up the bridge, which is part of in international trade. I mean, it's billions of dollars that go back and forth between the U.S. and Mexico. And there is also one of those bridges, trains go back and forth. Yes, and the, it's very close to where the buoys are. It wouldn't take a lot of water, um, theoretically, to push it that way because it's so close to those bridges already. What did the governor of Texas have to say this week? <laughs> so we had been talking to the state officials about the allegations of migrant mistreatment where they weren't getting help. There was a uh, DPS trooper that said that migrants were getting pushed back into the Rio Grande and they weren't being given water. They categorically denied all of that. Mm -hmm. They said, we are treating them with the utmost respect. We're trying to give them water. We're trying to help. Um, What's he saying about these, these again, I, I call them the big red balls in the water. What does he have to say about putting them in there and the lawsuit that's been filed that you reported on. He says that they are within their rights within the state constitution and the federal constitution to defend the border. And he said that he has reached out to the Biden administration several times telling them that he has that right. And the end of his statement, he said, we will see you in court, Mr. President. So he's ready to take this on. All right. Well, thank you, Jordan. And I believe we'll have more reporting from the border, and you're going to keep following this to see what happens. Do you think we'll see a point where these the structure is literally pulled out of the water by the government of Mexico? I think that it will take time, and I don't know if it would necessarily be the Mexican government or authorities here in America that are also questioning the legality of it, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. All right. Thank you, Jordan Elder. And you can follow her. What's your social media? Jordan Elder TV on all platforms. And I am a Jordan with an A. There you go. Thank you. And like Jordan just mentioned, the environmental impact to all of this has local groups and Mexico alike saying it infringes on jurisdiction and will likely impact the surrounding area. There's a large flood flow. The water has a, is really powerful. Um, and so as a flood flow comes through there, it could dislodge that cement that they're placing at the bottom of the channel, or it could just rip out part of the netting that I've been told is going to be hanging from the buoys underwater, um, or it could dislodge the buoys themselves, and those buoys could make their way downstream um, and, and cause um, damage to infrastructure. Dr. Adriana Martinez is an associate professor from Southern Illinois University and grew up in Eagle Pass, Texas. She says beyond serving as a physical barrier, there's no way of knowing for sure how these floating boulders could impact the local environment if they come loose or they shift the flow of water in the Rio Grande. One thing is for sure, the buoys will immediately have an impact. 
nobody's done this to a river before. We have no idea what's happening, right? We we haven't modeled these effects, but my indication is they're going to be much greater than we think they are with every feet um, or, um, you know, thousand feet that's added onto that. The international legal challenges are just one of a few issues posed by the latest move to deter migrant crossings by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. But even that is not black and white as we would all like to think. The only lawsuits that's been filed is one that's filed here in Texas by a kayak owner of all people. So uh, the Mexican government has not filed any official complaints. The Biden administration hasn't filed any lawsuits or, or, or put any injunctions on the governor. Nothing. Uh, which tells you what? Well, it tells you they probably understand that what we're doing here in Texas is legal. Jeffrey Atticott is the director of the Warrior Defense Project at St. Mary's University School of Law. Atticott says the use of treaties creates a space for courts to decide what is reasonable or a reasonable use of the river looks like for governments. While both sides of the argument will likely have good lawyers arguing their side is the right side, the question is and will remain when something will be done to keep human beings safe. In this case is the state of Texas. What are they supposed to do? Just say thank you very much uh, because, you know, they're being harmed as well. Uh, we cited the figures already. I mean, over 800 people have died trying to cross into the country. So the harm is on both sides. Something's got to be done. Friends, that's all for this week. For the latest, you can also follow my stories on social media platforms under Yami Virgin in South Texas for Sinclair Broadcasting. I'm Yami Virgin for this edition of Immigration Crisis, the fight for the southern border.